You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 106 of the MXU podcast. Hard to believe 106. I'm Jeff Sandstrom. I'm here with Lee Fields and Jay Desai, our co-hosts. Boys, how you doing? I'm feeling motivated. Good. Your head is nice and shiny. Is that a fresh shave? No, I'm a couple days out. This is like longer than it should be. Hmm. I need to get that foil clipper out. Uh, no, I'm feeling motivated because I watched this documentary last night called 14 Peaks. Have you guys seen this? Okay. Is it about the 14ers in Colorado? Oh, no, 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 no. No, Jeff, come on. 14ers? This is the 14 mountains in the world over 8,000 meters. Oh, wow. So like the Kil- Kilimanjaro's and that those no Kilimanjaro no 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 those are small potatoes. This is they're all in the you know near Mount Everest, Pakistan, China, Himalayas. Yeah, they're all right there. Those the Himalayas. So there's a guy. His name is Nims. He's from Nepal. Nimi. Yep. And <laughs> the Nimster. This documentary, guys, is bananas. He was on Joe Rogan last week. That's how I found out about him. Surprise, yeah, surprise. Yeah. Where, where you get all sorts of, uh, you get all your fashion, of all, all your fashion yeah. out of the Filson catalog, and you get everything else from the Joe Rogan podcast. That's true. Um, so this documentary is about the fourteen mountains in the world taller than eight thousand meters. So it's it's the tallest fourteen in the world, and. This guy, Nims, who I'm not sure how old he is. I need to look that up. I think he's in his probably mid to late 30s or maybe early 40s. He wanted to summit all 14 peaks in a record time. So the previous world record to summit all 14 was seven years. Okay. And he attempts to do it in seven months. What? Yeah. Okay, so just for those of you who don't have your calculators at hand and you're part of the um, imperial system of measurement, 8,000 meters is 26,400 feet. Yeah. So each of these mountains is higher than 26,000 feet. Yep. Which is 12,000 feet higher than any of the 14ers that we might think of in the U.S., which is mountains that are over 14,000 feet. Right. So hello that's so what did he do did you watch the whole thing i did and he did it in six months (laughs) i gotta watch this but he could have done it in four but there was some political stuff like some hula hoops he had to jump through because one of the mountains hadn't been climbed in 10 years and he had to get the chinese government to allow passage hard to find hard to climb a mountain you can't get to right yeah (laughs) that's a word right there that is a word. Yeah, exactly. That that'll preach. That might be my next sermon illustration. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like when you want to go climb Mount Everest, you take a Sherpa, and yeah. the, the, one of the like messages in this movie is that people from the West and foreigners get all these accolades for climbing Mount Everest, which there's hundreds per day that are summiting Everest year round. It's just that's a whole other topic. But they all have Sherpas with them. But these guys, these Sherpas from Nepal, they're born at high altitude. They don't need as much much oxygen so that they can just perform like you wouldn't believe at high altitude. Well, no one mentions the Sherpa's name. They just say, oh, it's my Sherpa. Well, Nims takes his team, and the, these guys are all Sherpas, but... You, like the fact that you guys haven't heard about this is telling, right? Like if there was an American guy, some dentist, you know, oh yeah, who did all this, it would have been on the news. But now this documentary was like number one documentary right now, last year, whenever it came out, I'm not sure. But yeah, he did it in six months. It's crazy. He was special forces in the British military. He was a Gurkha in the Nepali military. Dude, those guys are no joke. They are no joke. But he was the first Gurkha to also make it into British Special Forces. What is it called? S S A S S E S A S. Yeah, yeah. That's so, crazy. It's crazy, and he did it without funding. So he wrote like handwritten letters to Richard Branson, telling him like what he was going to do. 
you know, all these companies, Arcteryx, and and nobody was really helping. So he quits his job in the British military, remortgages his house, and starts the expedition. Oh, and by the way, he films it all by himself. So he's on the face of this mountain climbing straight up, operating the drone himself. So all the, the footage in this documentary, th- this is what blew me away. So, and this is why it applies to us. The camera footage that this guy got is unbelievable when you're watching it thinking, oh my gosh, he's filming. Because in the interview on Rogan, he talks about this, like he would put people in position as they were climbing, thinking about capturing the footage. So it wasn't just about, hey, like we have to survive. He was also thinking, well, this shot would be cool if we do this a certain way. And at that, at that time, you have to think about how you're not going to die as well. Totally. He <laughs> talks about the amount of energy it takes at 8,000 meters to take your phone out, take your gloves off, and take a picture. Like the amount of calories that burns at that level. Like people don't do that. Like if you think about how many pictures there are of the top of Everest, there's not many. It's because sure. of the amount of calories it takes to do that. And he's thinking about it the entire time. That's wild. Yeah. All right, so the thing about Sherpas that I want to know, and maybe somebody can do some research on this. I could do some research on this. How many of those guys, like how how frequently do they climb? Like in other words, if you're a Sherpa and you get assigned to Jerry from Boise, who's going to come to Everest, and then next month, Joey from New Jersey is coming in, like how often are you able to climb as a Sherpa? Because those guys have been up and down Everest probably a dozen times. Oh, well, I think, or more, you know, I think if you go climb Everest, somebody will know this, we're going to mess it up, but you can look this up. It's you're there for like a month, six weeks, two months. Yeah. Yeah. You're at one of the base camps for two or three weeks before you can even go up the next level to get your body adjusted to the, um, elevation. Dang. Right. So I would think, is it, is it like a golf caddy where they're just sort of always on call? They're always on call. There's a bunch of articles about this, like what these guys are asked to carry it's like chairs and tables and whiskey and like stoves like just crazy stuff in your pack and that they i mean they set it up at camp and they leave it all there but you know there's different camps along the way and it's like okay we're gonna stay here for a few weeks and we're gonna go to the next one and it's all heavy and they're carrying ladders on their backs like six foot ladders across their shoulder meanwhile dentist larry's in front of them trying to take selfies you know (laughs) <laughs> so yeah i mean i would think a sherpa could go at least four times a year i think that's conservative we should look this up right. i think it's got to be more it probably is i'm watching this documentary tonight it's i love incredible. it incredible and it's for the whole family your whole family could watch it okay great man not if i was climbing it'd be x-rated you get some language <laughs> <laughs> well what's funny is he gets to a base camp of K2 and K2 is like the hardest mountain to climb in the world. And there were, I don't know, 40 or 50 people there. And he said the whole camp was pretty depressed because there had been a bunch of avalanches. Um, the weather wasn't good. So they thought the rest of this year, no one's going to summit K2. So he goes in and cracks the whiskey open and they freaking party. And he like <laughs> lifts the spirits of everyone in the camp. And then the next day he's like, we're going to party tonight. We're going to plan tomorrow. So the next day in planning, he um, he's up in front of everybody and they're all like, hey, just because you're on this expedition in this mission doesn't mean you can come in here with this propaganda and tell us that we can go do this. Like, it's not safe. And he goes, um, hey, sometimes when you think you're effed, you're actually only 40 percent effed. <laughs> oh dang yeah yeah that'll pre- that'll preach too so he did it they spoiler alert they get to the top and then people go with him and they're like hey if it wasn't for this guy we wouldn't have gone incredible yeah, you gotta awesome. have leaders this guy yeah. always gotta be rebellious leaders well think about like being in production environment when you're something happens and you're like it's over or this is broke it's impossible well, maybe it's only 40% possible. 100%. That's so good. It I don't good. have any exact stories, but I know on the road, those moments where you just need everyone to push through. Yeah. When everyone's yep. like, let's just not. And when you push through, you're like, wasn't that worth it? Yep. Amen. Amen. 
whether it's a crappy load in or a terrible out or something breaks in the middle of the day or it's just a christian tour that's under <laughs> under budget understaffed what i was saying i know was redundant because there's no such thing as a great load in or load out on a christian tour but yeah, yeah it's like those things happen and you know it gets it gets demoralizing when they happen over and over again you know it feels like it's every day so you got to have leadership who's able to go okay guys here's our plan here's our focus here's here's what we're doing and people who are able to do those tough things yeah which reminds me of a great video lee that you sent me earlier this week that we definitely want to talk about yeah so you sent me a clip from patrick lencioni who for those of you guys who don't know who he is he wrote five dysfunctions of a team and is a sort of famous communicator about leadership and he's an author and has written a bunch of books but this clip was all about conflict and how to manage difficult conversations and why we need to have difficult conversations and how it can add to the health and the vitality of your team. So let's spend a few minutes talking about this because, Lee, the reason you sent it to me in the first place was pretty specific. It was. Because we think that there's probably a core issue here that is part of the reason why production guys struggle with this. Yeah, there is. Like, there's there's a big exodus in the church right now, and it's not just production teams. It's a lot of positions in the church, but a lot of people are leaving their employment, full-time employment in ministry and going to do something else. And yeah. just been thinking about like what that is. And like we default to like burnout and just being overworked and underpaid. But like something's been nagging at me. I think there's more to it. And then I was um I was listening to someone else's podcast. I think it might have been the Church Gear podcast, actually. And no, it was Dylan Howell's podcast. It was Dylan. Um, Big D. And someone referenced, they said, you know, Patrick Lencioni says you should mine for conflict. You should be mining for it. And that, like, it rattled me. And I don't even know if like I- Like you'd actually seek it out. Yeah. I was like, mining for conflict. I've never heard that phrase. Like- We've all heard these like leadership clips are, you know, the past 10 years and watch TED videos. I've never heard of mining for conflict. So I just got my phone out and I Googled mining for conflict and I found this video and he starts talking about not only should you not avoid it, you should go after it because that is actually the way to develop trust in your team. Right. One of the biggest takeaways that I heard is conflict leads to true commitment. In other words, if you're willing to go toe-to-toe with somebody, if you're willing to make your opinion known and listen to theirs, and it's maybe an opposite opinion, but you come to consensus, then when you both leave the room after that meeting, you're willing to disagree and commit. It's like, you've heard me, I've heard you, we're going to come to a decision, or we're going to be told what the decision is from our senior leader, but at that point... It leads to real commitment because you feel like you've gotten to express your side and both sides are able to go, nope, this is what we're doing. Even if if it's a better path or the same path as what was proposed, at least you got to be heard. And I think being heard is more important than always getting your way. Yep. The point is not to get your way. The point is people want to be heard because if, 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 if there's not that, then there's no buy-in. Right, they're not going to be able to commit to each other, or commit to the process, or commit to the decision if they don't feel like they've been heard. Well, and I think uh, we create this sub narrative that's not true, as in if Lee and I had a conflicting moment or there was tension there, and neither one of us sought it out to get clarity, like you were saying, whether that was between us or from an elder like you, Jeff. Uh, then I could create a narrative about why Lee and I are in conflict. And I could make it all about me or all about him. Well, I hate this, this, and this about Lee, or Lee hates this, this, this about me. And we start to tell ourselves lies that are actually not truth because there was no clarity brought to the conversation. And sometimes the clarity only comes through the conflict. That's good. Right. And then with production teams and church right now, I think executive teams, senior pastors, they're trying to figure out how to relaunch their church and get people back in the building. And what I'm seeing is the default is more events, more services, more stuff. 
like two years ago, we added online. That has not slowed down. Even if you're not doing separate broadcasts anymore, there's still a huge emphasis on the quality of that. And now, you know, your senior pastor is now all of a sudden aware of the rule of thirds and framing and pips, you know, and that that's a new pressure that we're all feeling. But as all this stuff gets added and if we aren't being vocal about how we feel about it and mining for that conflict, you become apathetic and then just feel like, well, they don't care about us. They don't care about me. Right. Now I'm overworked. I'm spending 80 hours a week at work and my wife's pissed off at me at home. And then you're two years in and your wife actually now hates the church or you have no life. You're single and like, how am I ever going to have a personal life and have friends? And then you end up leaving. Right. So that's where I think a lot of people are. That little bit of tension, that little bit of discontent when it's uncommunicated leads to resentment, bitterness, and worse. And those things just become a cancer that go through the whole team. It, not, only, not only can it destroy you and your relationship with the workplace and how you feel about your role and maybe even the church and maybe even God, but it it seeps into everybody. And so then sarcasm and jokes that go too far and gossip and those things become a part of the culture. And that, my friends, is serious bad news. That's really bad news. Lee, you've, you've been in this position before, probably as a leader in leadership at church. What if someone comes to you with their boundaries? Yeah. Like... Or, because if you don't know their boundaries, you would assume they're not committed to the team. Yep. Right? Yes. I, I keep going back to, uh, I, I just named this in my head. We're going we're gonna to have a name for this. It's the, the, the Todd Elliott rule or the Todd Elliott law, whatever. Okay. I like this. And it was when... He's told this story many times, but I think it is pivotal for what we do to adopt this and it become a part of your DNA. When they're in Germany doing a, a uh, global leadership event and the pastor or the speaker in Germany asked Todd, hey, there's a video clip of X, Y, and Z. It's back in Chicago. Can you have someone go to the church? Or no, he just said, can you find that video clip for me? And Todd said, I can do that, but here's what that means. Um, it's 1 a.m. in Chicago right now. Um, I'll have to call this person. They'll have to wake up middle of the night, go to the church, go to this computer in the church, find it, and then send it over to us. And then the response back from the leader was, oh, don't worry. It's not that big a deal. But what he did was he didn't just say, no, we're not doing that. And he didn't just say yes. He said yes, and here's what that means. So I think in this new season that we're now two years deep into, when we're asked like, hey, can you, uh, can your team also support student ministries? Or maybe you're not even asked. Maybe you're told, hey, we've decided that the weekend programming and production team is now going to support student ministries. Instead of saying, okay, and then going back to your team and saying, hey, guys, uh, we're also now in charge of student ministries. Or instead of just saying no and pissing off the executive who asked you that, you say, hey, yeah, we can do that, but here's what that means. You know, here's our full week right now. Here's what everyone's responsible for doing. We've got Saturday and Sunday services. We've got Sunday night that we added since COVID, which is great. You know, that's our team's favorite service, the Sunday night one. Um, and we're also doing student ministries on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. We've got middle school and high school. And then Thursday's our rehearsal. So to add this thing, what you're talking about, it's doable, but we need to look at the full week and figure out what we're going to either take away from the team or see what our options are for adding more uh, people to the team. Or if none of those are available, then we should talk about expectations. And if we staff volunteers, what that could look like, there may be some mistakes or can I work with the, the student team and, and, and develop a, a team of volunteers from their team? You know, you see what I'm saying? So it's not a... It's not a yes, it's not a no, it's a, hey, we can do that, but here's what that means. Now, if you yeah, get to the point good. where you need to say, no, we cannot do this, you have to actually have compelling reasons why. Maybe you're already past the point of burnout and you're already thinking about quitting. You actually need to tell someone that. Like I had a conversation with someone last week about this. Like, um, 
hey, have you told your executive pastor that you're overworked? Well, yeah, we've had those conversations. Well, what'd you say? Well, I said I'm working too much. No, how did you say it? You know, there's this funny uh, Key and Peele skit, which I can't recommend to all audiences, <laughs> but it's the skit where these two husbands are talking about arguing with their wives and their versions of what they're telling their wives and what actually happened are really different. They're like, I told her to, you know, fill in the blank. And the other guy's like, you said that? You actually said that? And he's like, well, I didn't, I didn't say it like that. <laughs> you know, I think we do that with yeah. leaders because we're trying to avoid conflict. Let's circle all the way back to that. We should be really honest. We should be respectful. But there's a difference in not telling them actually what's going on and being disrespectful. Like, where's the truth? Where's the truth with grace and love in there when we're saying, hey, things aren't great at home right now because I'm on six weeks in a row of working six days a week. Um, I need help managing my schedule, managing the team, lowering the bar of expectations, et cetera, et cetera. That's really good. So a couple of the things that Lencioni said in this clip that relate to that is first, not communicating, even in conflict, doesn't show love. In other words, there's no relationship without conflict because you have to be able to communicate honestly. And then when you do, when you do communicate through conflict and you come to that sort of resolution that we all commit to, then that's the only way you can hold each other accountable on both sides. So, you know, the primary source of accountability is that sort of peer-to-peer working through conflict. It's not just top-down leadership that tells you what to do. That's that's not the most sort of healthy and fulfilling source of accountability. You have to have that direct conversation, tough conversation, conflict to be able to have accountability and that's the best way to communicate love to each other. So, super solid. We've talked about things like this before, but that was a great reminder of just the importance of this. You know, we've said in a bunch of things, whether it's a live event or a video or whatever, Another key component of this is I can't have a hard conversation with somebody if I don't know their kids' names. So it all has to be based in relationship first. It has to be about helping each other get better. Because if you don't have the relationship to begin with, then you just come across as being complaining or naggy or whatever, fill in your adjective, whatever you, you need to. But it's like if we have relationship and we have that relational capital, then the conflict isn't about you as a person. It's about this other thing that we need to deal with and agree on. And once we can do that, then we can hold each other accountable to that thing and make it about something different than the quality of our relationship. So, um, and again, always a good reminder. Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot. I know you're not uh, a big fan of conflict. I am a I am a hater of conflict. It is so uncomfortable for me. For those of you who don't know, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and that is someone who seeks peace at all costs. Now, the thing that I've had to learn is that the pathway to peace is actually through conflict. Because the healthiest version of me, the healthiest version of my sort of comfort in having peace is what comes through the conflict itself. The unhealthy version of a nine is the avoidance of conflict, which leads to all those other things that are dysfunctional, the resentment and the unsaid things and all of the stuff that makes you sort of passive aggressive in conversations. So for me, it's like the the best pathway to peace, which seems counterintuitive, is through conflict. I think that is so good. I don't like it anymore. It's not any more fun, but I've realized that it's necessary. There have been times, Lee, where you and I have had to have a difficult conversation about business, or you've had to hold my feet to the fire about something, or I've had to challenge you about something. And it's definitely uncomfortable for me, but I know that our relationship is stronger because of it. Our company is better because of it. We've been able to accomplish more through it. So, it's like when you sit back, you zoom out a little bit, and you you acknowledge those things. It's like, yeah, I know it's true, but man, it doesn't make it necessarily easier. And I think for people for whom conflict comes natural, you know, if you're if you're a person who 
doesn't avoid conflict and you love a hard conversation, you want to push people and push buttons and always have the right side of the argument and all that stuff, you've got to be careful on the other side too to make sure that you're not just you know beating people down and just doing what you do just to win the argument because it's not about winning the argument. It's about both sides being heard and how to work through it from that perspective. We need to send you to NATO. Put you on the front of that carrier. <laughs> I don't know if I want to get involved in that conflict at all. Tour managing is for sure just one big one big ball of conflict, walking conflict yeah. all the time. Totally. But I learned the hard way that I had to do what you're saying. I had a band tell me early on, I was, I don't know, 21 or 22 tour managing. And they're like, hey, your goal is to get that promoter to do what you want and it to be their idea. Huh. Oh, you worked with Danny Kiesman again, I see. Oh gosh. He well, he was awesome, by the way. He dude, I freaking love Danny. It took I was terrified of him for so long. Me too. Everybody was. And I think he liked that. Oh yep. yeah, he, he lived by that. I mean, he lived by that stopwatch, but yeah. But once you got through that exterior, oh, there's yeah. just a big teddy bear inside. And if you yep. got on his good side, he would do anything for you. It's yeah, great. You just, you just leave the bottle in the production office on your way out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's good. Well, speaking of bottles, Jay, you are recently back from Europe. Yeah, actually fresh uh, just a few yeah. hours ago. Yeah, so you guys joined me on the podcast last week and filled me in on what Mercy Ships was doing, which is awesome. But you got home, so how are you feeling? Uh, I'm good. Uh, you know, Coming back this way works in your favor. You just kind of stay up and try to get back on the same rhythm. So all in all, pretty good. I feel really great about the work we did and the awareness and the organization, all that stuff, you know. Um, That's cool. There was a lady on this ship, and I don't know if I said this last week. She kind of just felt compelled to come serve the ship. She's a businesswoman, very well qualified. And I asked her, I was like, so what do you do on the ship? She said, well, for the last year, I just do laundry. And it stuck with me the whole time. Wow. Hmm. I was like, man, I wonder if what area, this is sounds like a uh, hallmark, but I wonder what areas of my life, I, they don't need my expertise. They just need someone to be there. Huh. Oh, wow. And I, I, I just, it's really did stick with me. I told someone at lunch today about it. Um, but yeah, anyways, it was great. Uh, we met some incredible people, some incredible production folks over there uh, from all over Europe kind of came together to do this. They were, some Germans, some Dutch, some French. Um, yeah, it was honestly really good. I had a lot of L Acoustics love while I was over there. Some Yamaha consoles and, and whatnot. Awesome. Some Barco, some row LED walls, the normal suspects, but uh, yeah. really incredible people. And uh, David and Rusty were awesome on the trip, but we became locals. There was a place that we, we had an afternoon pub that we had a meatball, meatballs at. They were the best okay. meatballs in Amsterdam, and we became locals. And then uh, an Italian restaurant we ate at several times where the chef basically invited us into the kitchen to watch him cook. And uh, then another pub that had all the Belgian beers, all the European beers all in one place. And that place was our nighttime pub. And we became regulars, and and it was great. So you were there for two weeks? Yeah, two weeks. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was just trying to store up all my beer before we got to stop drinking here for a month you know <laughs> that's right yeah. so uh you you said that these locals gave you and rusty a pretty big send-off when you left the pub last night uh yeah on the last night we took some of some of our team well uh tell us about that they sing piano man billy joel piano man at closing time and then they they sing this song followed by it that is a local song they sing in dutch that is basically about how sh- Rotterdam is, but it's their Rotterdam. <laughs> I didn't understand a word of it, <laughs> but the guy was translating as they were singing. I was like, God, this song, I kind of like it. <laughs> but Piano Man was here, and they knew we loved it. So and they do this every night. Every night they close, and they they have multiple levels, and we did it on every level. Um, and then this was it. Can I play it? Is that okay? You have a recording? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just turned voice note on and just put it in my shirt pocket like an old man oh and it gotta was hear it. epic uh this was on the bottom floor after every f- the other two floors had closed everyone had migrated downstairs doors were open people were singing inside and outside you could probably hear rusty sing in at the very end 
Amazing. I mean, it, it to me, <laughs> it felt like we were singing the Hallelujah Chorus with a 300-person 300, 300 choir, but it was yeah. really just uh, about uh, 40 well-lubricated Europeans and a couple Americans <laughs> in a pub. <laughs> I mean, like clinging of glasses. I think a glass oh, like, yeah. it was like out of a movie. Raise your steins. Oh, that's amazing. And we're swaying left to right. Yeah, it was great. If only Billy knew. That's awesome. But it was great. Um that was a wonderful time, and I'm I'm uh, I'm glad I'm home for a little bit. Well, Lee, hearing that recording makes me think about our friend Gomi. It does make me think of Gomi. Gomi, <laughs> I think it's time for a turn down for MXU. Oh, y'all got a good one. I, this is one of the best ones ever because oh my gosh, um, we have an audio recording to play. Also, Jay. Oh gosh, first, give it to me. The the first audio turn down ever. I'm I'm really thrilled. I, I hope maybe we can start a new trend. This showed up on the church's voicemail. Yeah. So it's literally like call the info line at the church and leave a message kind of deal. And this was the message that was sent. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to hold my phone in this Earthworks microphone here. Hello. Good morning. Listen, is there anybody actually listening to your online broadcast? Uh, it is a mess, okay? If you have a sound engineer, wake him up and have him fix it. Or get Muscling Music Man to take care of it. It is a mess. Please get your online broadcast cranked up. Thank you. God bless you. My favorite thing is, God bless you. <laughs> also said, that is, that's a woman, right? That was a woman? I can't tell. This is okay. 2022, Jay. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well... They said if if you have a sound man too, and they said if if not, get Music Man to fix it. I just love the titles. Yeah, it was. Something. And what's the word? What's the word before Music Man? I couldn't hear it. Or get Musline Music Man. Musline or something. It's like a. I couldn't tell if it was like Muscle Man Music Man or I don't know. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's like the it's time brilliant. someone uh, came to me while I was mixing, told me it sounded bad and it was too loud, and handed me their card, and it said. The music man it was like his business card i think that it's Unreal. similar it's like well my neighbor the muscling music man whatever just get them to come in here and fix it god bless god everyone. bless you that reminded me of christmas <laughs> vacation at the, That's uh, the prayer i would like to know amazing. what gomi said back i think they just shared a laugh among their team yeah, yeah. gomi if you could I, send us your voice note back we told him we were going to do it anonymous. Oh, well. Oops. Oh, well. I, th- I think it's great. I can go me. So um, we're about halfway through MXU 75. We're over halfway through. Yeah, we are. This weekend, this weekend marked the halfway point. So because, Jay, you were traveling back, and Lee, you had dad duties at home because Jenny's traveling, I had a conversation with just myself and Dr. Barrett about the halfway point of the 75, and he gave us some good tips and maybe some ways for some of us to just push through and get to the end. So um, let's check out what he had to say about the next couple of weeks. Dr. Barrett Dubert is with us again, and we just wanted to do a, a halfway check-in. We'll, we'll check in again at the end, but just wanted to sort of get some of your questions answered and then maybe get some power tips now that we're halfway through. Um, we'll kind of see what we can do to just keep it going, keep the ramp up going. And as we move toward the end, how to finish strong. So Dr. Barrett, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, absolutely, man. Always a pleasure, always a privilege. Um, and I, I just love the the community and everything I see, everything that's being shared. And it just, it yeah. excites me. So how's the halfway point for you? Cause you're already fit. You're already dialed in with your diet. So have you noticed anything different as you've tried to follow along? Well, I'll tell you, those 100 rep challenges were pretty difficult. <laughs> so those haven't been, been, been super fun, but it's a nice way to finish a workout. 
And um, and up to this point, I would say my biggest, um, I guess, struggle would be water intake. Yeah. I, I mean, at, for me, I like to slam it early in the morning. And then I will just kind of forget about consuming water throughout the rest of the day. So I, I have to be a little more intentional with that. That's probably my biggest area that I need intentionality behind. But everything else up yeah. to this point is pretty rock solid. Um, and it's 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 up to this point been pretty pretty consistent with how I've been living over the last 10, 12 years. So nothing's, yeah. nothing's shaken me up too much. That's good. Well, regarding the water, that's been the biggest comment we've gotten has been either I didn't know how much water I really needed or it's really hard to keep up with it. So I, I have this 32-ounce water bottle that I've just sort of developed a habit of carrying around with me all the time. So I try to drink you know, more than two. Sometimes I'll get to three over the course of a day, which that'll, that'll get me, if I do three a day, that'll get me to the, to the end of this thing, which is good. Um, so I think for me, that would be one thing I would share is just try to keep a water bottle with you and just try to take big gulps you know, every few minutes throughout the day, and you'll be surprised how fast you can get through it. You'll be peeing a lot, but it's okay because exactly right. we need to we need to get rid of whatever toxins are in our system too. So um, that's really good for me with the exercise. I've really enjoyed um, developing a habit of exercise because I got out of it after a long time of being pretty fit. So this has been a great way for me to kind of get, get sort of dial back into at least doing something every day. I've been surprised though at how difficult the Tabata stuff has been. Sure. The jumping jacks, I felt great about the jumping jacks. I was going super fast, and it was like a big challenge for me to improve every day. In fact, I was texting you throughout those five days, right. just kind of bragging about my new PR. But then we got to the wall sits, and I couldn't believe how hard it was to just sit for 20 seconds. <laughs> I mean, that was crazy. And then the push-ups, it was like, man, once you reach a point of failure on push-ups, your shoulders are just done. You're so done. it's it's a tough one. Yeah. And so now we're moving into some different Tabatas. So I had one question from somebody who said, okay, what's the what's the fat man scale for a burpee? Because if you can't do a burpee, what do you do instead? Yeah. So um, the, the movement of a burpee is really getting to the ground and getting back up. Yeah. That's that's the movement. So the whole focus is helping people learn that like hey you're going to you're going to get on the floor and you're going to get back up. And so that can be super difficult, but the scaled version is what I like to do is have them put their hands on the ground, then step their feet back into almost a plank position, then step their feet back up to their hands and then stand up. And to me that is a that's a good movement. That's a really good movement and it is a proper scale for most people. The okay. other option is doing the same thing, but instead of putting your hands all the way to the ground, find some type of like box that's maybe 16, 20 inches that you can actually put your hands on and then step back and then step back up to the box and even do a little jump at the top. So you can elevate okay. the ground by using a box as your reference point by putting your hands on. And that kind of puts you off the ground, maybe 16, maybe 20 inches. But ideally, and maybe out of the comfort of your own home, you want to just get to the ground and get back up. Like to me, that's a burpee in the scaled way. Okay, great. And, and so whatever that even looks like, even if it's you're on the ground and then you have to roll to your butt and then you have to go to your four hand, your, your hands and knees and then stand up. Hey, to me, that's a burpee. So getting to the ground, getting that's back good. up is a burpee um, in any way that's, that it's accomplished. Great. So don't get caught up with the fact that it's a speed thing necessarily. If you can't do unbroken burpees, you know, let's say you can't do six or seven in 20 seconds. I mean, that's an elite level athlete type thing. If you can just get down to the ground and get back up once or twice in 20 seconds, take your 10 seconds rest. Do that eight times, and then by the end of five days, you're going to be able to do more than you can on day one, and that's the point. Yeah, when we look at other people and the way they do a burpee, and then they jump 30 inches into the 
air. It could right. be a little intimidating to look at that movement and say, hey, okay, well, I can't do that. But for the most part, everyone can get to the floor and get back up. It just may not look pretty. Yeah. But if you do that repetitively, I promise you, you will develop an efficiency at getting to the floor and getting back up. And for me, that's where we all start with movement is, can we squat? Can we get to the floor and get back up? Can we crawl? And if you can, hey, we're going to progress you. And so you don't have to be able to squat perfectly, front squat 300 pounds or deadlift a bunch of weight. It's all about just improving mechanics and movement over time. And everyone's got a different starting point. That's good. Well, and the whole point about functional fitness, as we would call it in general, is that you know I want these guys to be able to squat down and whether it's working behind a rack at their shop or at the church or whether it's doing yard work or squatting down to get a basket of laundry, it's how can you do this not just when you're 35, 40, but can you do it when you're 75 and 80? And these kind of movements are the things that are going to keep you functional well into old age. And that's really, you know, I you see these old guys that are just completely broken down who can't bend down to pick up a screwdriver. It's like, man, I don't want to be that guy. So the, one of the most encouraging things I've heard from our folks who are doing this is about that. It's like, man, I never thought I could move this much without gasping for breath or Walking up and down the stairs has become easier. Or, man, I never knew how much sugar I was drinking. Or those kind of things. Like that's those are the wins for me. Like I'm not yes. looking for guys who are now going to be able to do a hundred unbroken pull-ups by the end of this. That's right. That's not practical. The practical side is, hey, am I moving more? Am I eating better? Am I drinking less? Am I drinking more water? Like that's that's the thing. Right. So you know, I think I think that that's gotta be the biggest takeaway. That's right. And, and and the first level to any progression, whether it's business relationships, finances, whether it's health, it's awareness, awareness of where you are deficient and then capitalizing on that deficiency by making a strategy or a habit yeah. in a different direction. And so the awareness is the huge part. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, anytime you do kind of a financial tune-up or a Dave Ramsey thing or a financial Bible study or whatever it is, the first thing they always do is say, track your spending for 30 days. Just that's right. Keep, you know, know where your money's going for 30 days. And it's amazing how much of that just gets piddled away. Well, it's the same thing with this. Once you start tracking these things and doing the journal and logging some of these Tabatas and all that, you'll be amazed at not only where you start compared to where you finish, but from day to day, how much you're going to get better. So I just want to encourage everybody to keep it up, keep up the great work. Um, it's it's great to see how you know how well everybody's doing, but then you know some of the things that are a struggle because I think those struggles are common. So one of the other questions that we've gotten is on the sleep thing. So some guys are. Some guys have said, I'm sleeping better, but I'm not necessarily sleeping more. Like I'm still, I'm still unable to get past, let's say, six and a half hours before I just wake up. I wake up feeling rested and ready to go, but the length of time that I'm asleep doesn't seem to be getting longer. So if the goal by the end is seven to eight hours, how do you get from six, six and a half to seven and a half, eight? Yeah, well, the, there's a, there's a couple things to unpack there. The first is um, everyone needs a different amount of sleep based on okay. genetics. So some some people can actually function really really well off six and a half seven hours of sleep, and some people need eight eight and a half. And uh, and so the first the first thing I'd like to mention is as long as you're waking up consistently at the same time and going to sleep at the same time, that's the most important. Um, if you're waking up rested, that's a good sign that you're getting quality sleep. Good. So even if it is six and a half, if you feel rested when you wake up, that means your body went through the proper sleep cycles. So I think that's important. Um, and then the other the other component is um, if you're waking up in the middle of the night at maybe it's 3.30 or 4 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep, 
Well, then what we're dealing with is too much stress in the body. And so if we're, if we're waking up too early, then when we should be waking up, more than likely there's some unmanaged stress and cortisol production issues that will balance out over time. So continue to, okay. to keep that set circadian rhythm of this is when I go to sleep and this is when I wake up will help you over time start to make the necessary hormones to keep your body asleep and wake you up at the proper time. So traditionally, I'm just going to say, hey, if you get six, six and a half hours of sleep, but you wake up rested versus someone who sleeps eight and a half hours and they wake up tired, I'm going to take that six, six and a half all day because they probably got better sleep overall. Got it. And that's one of the first metrics that you look at. And then the second metric is trying to extend that, that sleep window um, to a little bit longer. But hey, if you find your body is just going at six and a half, seven hours, then then that's that's good for you. You know, this is a generalized template for how most people should be living, but it's not a set standard for everyone. That's why there's no perfect diet, there's no perfect sleep routine, yep. there's no perfect um, formula for every person to follow, and so that's why through this program. Stacking these habits, but developing awareness of what works best for you is the most important thing going forward. That's great. So before we leave the sleep thing, one question about the circadian rhythms. So I know, you know, we've, we've talked about amount of sleep and you alluded to it, how consistent bedtime and consistent wake time is important. Talk about the bedtime part, just one more minute, because I know a lot of guys who are really erratic in when they go to bed. Like sometimes, okay, I'll put the kids down. I'm really tired. I'm going to be in bed by 930. Sometimes it's like, man, I've got a lot to do. We're out late. I don't get to bed till midnight or later. Or I just, I've fallen into a habit. I'm a young guy. I just, I'm a night owl. I go to sleep at 1231 o'clock. So when there is that wide variance from day to day, week to week, talk about how much that's disruptive. Yeah, it's extremely disruptive, especially if we were to look at our um, pre-bed routine, we'll see how disruptive it is. And most of the time, what we're what we're doing is unhealthy habits, which is um, screen time, TV, and snacking. So those three habits stimulate the nervous system and prevent you from going to sleep. So actually, what I say is, an hour before bed is when we should set ourselves up for sleep. So if we want to go to sleep and we've been going to sleep at 11.30 and we say, hey, our goal is 11 o'clock. Okay. That means at 10 o'clock, we are already preparing for sleep at 11. And you know, so over time, then we can start to go from 10.30 then to 10 and then maybe even 9.30, 10, whatever it ends up being. But that hour before, no electronics, no snacking, no food, and preferably, we want to use that time with low uh, dim, dimmed lights, maybe reading, um, studying, praying, um, doing our breath work. Yep. And those things will help your body shut down. See, it's hard to shut down a brain that's stimulated. It'll take you literally hours to, to shut it down. So I think it's all about setting yourself up for success rather than it's, oh, man, it's late. I need to get to bed and you realize it's already, you know, 1125 and your goal is to get to bed by 1130. Well, your brain's just not going to shut down that quick. Right, right. That's good. So it's just setting yourself up a little bit more for success. And honestly, the sweetest spot for sleep is 10 to 2. So research shows between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock is where you get over 70% of your actual sleep cycle. Interesting. Where we get into deep sleep. So it is important that we get that 10 o'clock sleep window to two, and that's when our brain really shuts down and we get into that. Deep. If we don't go to sleep till 12, 1, we're missing out on that circadian rhythm, and then our brains don't ever really get into a deep sleep, and we stay in a lighter sleep, and then that impacts how well we recover into the next day. That's really good. Okay, so reading is great. Non-screen time reading, so reading a book, <laughs> so you're not getting that blue light. That's right. Stimulating your brain. And then for me, I found that doing the breath work 
as part of my, like when I lie down doing the box breathing really helps me just chill, focus my mind, meditate a little bit, pray, you know, get the heart rate down. It's like, man, that the box breathing has, has really helped me. That's all. So last category, cause we're coming into, uh, in the next five days, we're, we're moving into day 45, which is our final 30-day stretch, and that involves no alcohol. So I think some of the struggle for some of these guys has been if they've regularly had a beer or had a drink or maybe indulged a little too much, they're not seeing the results so far that they've wanted because of not cutting alcohol yet. So Because I think for me... You know, when I started this, I decided I'm not going to drink the whole time. And so part of what's helped me physically is, I'm sure, the fact that I haven't been drinking at all. So we're coming into no alcohol. So let's just kind of address the elephant in the room for a minute. Talk about not just why we're eliminating it for the, for the next 30 days, but talk about the, just the dangers of it in general in terms of calories, stress, blood pressure, um, you know, there's a lot of health risks with alcohol, even if it's just a drink a day. So let's spend a minute just talking about alcohol. Yeah. So let me tell you the crazy thing about alcohol. And this statement should summarize it all. At night, we burn fat. Okay. When we drink, it stops us from burning fat for up to 12 hours. Interesting. So what happens is when you drink alcohol, the liver is impaired in its ability to do fatty acid metabolism, just burn fat. So alcohol has a caloric impact, but more importantly, it has a metabolic impact. That's why we call it beer bellies, right? And so what happens is yep. when we drink, we store fat around our midsection. It's actually the most unhealthy fat that we have is the beer belly because it's actually around all of your central organs and that's what makes the stomach protrude. So the dad bod beer belly is the most unhealthy fat on the entire body. And alcohol is the number one culprit behind it, alcohol and sugar. If you want to stop someone from burning fat for energy, you give them alcohol. It's going to do it. And so I, I think you nailed on the head. When we eliminate alcohol, we improve our metabolism. And we don't even have to do, I mean, just eliminating alcohol, I've heard people drop 10 pounds in 30 days just by eliminating alcohol in and of itself. So when we- And it's not just because of the calories. It's, and it's really not because of the calories alone. I mean, think of it. We get fat off of drinking, uh, what are they, ultra drinks, the Michelob Ultras or- you know, whatever the low calorie, low carb drinks are. It's not the, really the carbs that are the bigger concern. It's the alcohol itself and how that impairs metabolism. So these last 30 days, if you've been at a, 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 a kind of a stagnant um, point in your health journey, going through this process, you haven't lost the amount of weight you want, just get ready. When you eliminate alcohol, it'll start falling off of you. Because you're going to accelerate fatty acid metabolism and really make a big difference in overall how well your body is burning fat for energy. That's good. Well, I, I can't echo the point strongly enough. When I went to the doctor the last time, um, you know, I was at my probably unhealthiest in terms of weight. And she said, um, you're running the risk of fatty liver. And I had never heard of fatty liver. Well, it's that what you're saying, the fatty tissue that's building up around your organs and when it gets in and around your liver it's super dangerous so um not only are there health risks of you know beer belly and other metabolic issues but i heard a report on the radio today that increased alcohol consumption is directly related to increase incidence of cancer that's right a lot of different kinds of cancers exactly breast right. cancer in women colon cancer all kinds of cancers in men as well. So um, obviously, you know the the short term benefit of the the buzz is not worth the risk, and we all know that it's poison, right? But there is that euphoria and that feeling that comes from being with the guys and 
sitting around a fire and sharing a buzz and it's man it's it is difficult not to indulge because it's fun but man it's so important so guys i would encourage you for the next 30 days as we come into day 45 especially as we're moving toward easter you know there are some spiritual rhythms we need to get into as well so i just i just encourage everybody take this seriously cuz it is going to impact your health in a huge huge way yeah and for some people it's habit right they're just used to going home and grabbing something and chilling out so my recommendation is get some sparkling water i know that sounds weird or a lacroix or whatever it is maybe it's a kombucha if you develop the flavor profile for it but it's sometimes just a habit thing as well and so if we go home and immediately grab that sparkling water, it kind of satiates the moment of needing something to drink that's different than water or coffee or tea. And so my recommendation also is, first, get it out of the house so you're not tempted. And then two, bring something into the house as a replacement. And typically, that's some type of sparkling beverage um, because that's going to be giving, get, you know, kind of satisfying the palate. That's good. Okay, one last question before I let you go. Um, I have somebody specific in mind when I ask this, but I know there are several people who've talked about it. So on the diet side, there are people who don't need to lose weight who are doing this challenge, and they're picky eaters. And so their problem has been not getting enough calories because they feel like once they've ramped up their exercise and doing the water thing, they're getting too skinny. And so what's your recommendation for somebody who has normally not eaten a ton of vegetables and isn't really necessarily able to get the calories they need without the junk food? What do we do nutritionally to keep those guys on track? Yeah, great question. I do get this actually quite a bit in my office. And, um, and one of the big things that we have to realize is, first off, if we're skinny fat, it's important to get rid of the fat, even at the risk of being skinnier. And, and so that's one thing that's important. Hey, if, if you're already lean, but a lot of it is fat, keep eating clean and get rid of that fat and trade some muscle mass. So you got to do some strength training. You just need to eat more good foods, right? You just need to eat more protein and more healthy carbs. Yes. And I, honestly, when you look at calories, four calories per carb, per gram of carb, four calories per gram of protein, there's nine per gram of fat. So where I usually take someone is I build their nutritional profile off of clean protein, clean carbohydrates, but also I have them add fat with every single meal. So maybe that's an avocado. Maybe that's, you know, guacamole if you want it on your, you know, taco bowl, okay? Maybe uh, it's a bunch of olive oil sprinkled on your um, vegetables, or maybe it's a little bit of grass-fed butter in your sweet potato, or maybe it's a handful of walnuts or nuts or seeds. But that fat intake will a lot of times bring up that caloric need and support it that you just couldn't satiate with um, with a bunch of carbohydrates, uh, you know, or protein is hard to eat 100, 150 grams of protein a day. So a lot of times you're going to have yeah. to add in that healthy fat to make up for the caloric deficit that you're in. So kind of following like what I call a 40, 30, 30, 40% of your nutrition should be about carbohydrates, 30% protein and 30% fat. And a lot of people are missing out on that fat because they think it's going to be unhealthy for them, but fat is not fat. The inability to burn fat will make you fat. And so at this point, if you're if you're dialing in your exercise and you're running and you're working out and you're strength training, you need that extra seven, eight hundred calories coming from clean fats. That's great. Well, Dr. Barrett Dubert, thank you so much again for all your insight and these tips. Um, we're coming into Let's see. We got our Tabata burpees this week. Then we go to lunges. Then we go to plank holds. So we've got you know some interesting Tabata stuff coming up next week. With the alcohol, we increase our box breathing. So we got the breath challenge, and that's that's so good for just the mental side so of all good. this. I think just just calming 
And using that as a time to pray, using that as a time to breathe and just settle your mind is great. I'm telling you, uh, the stories that we're going to hear at the end of this, I'm so stoked because I know we're going to have a bunch of weight loss and we're going to have a bunch of you know, fitness gains, but I think the spiritual and mental side is only going to get better and better. So I'm excited to hear everybody's stories. So thank you again. We're going to check in again with you at the end so we can do a final wrap up in about a month or so. But thanks again for all the programming, for all the encouragement, your team and you do such a great job. So we're just so grateful. Oh, thank you so much. It is an, it truly is an honor to serve the community. Awesome. Well, that was awesome. I, I don't know how we, we haven't really talked about this on the podcast yet. How are you guys feeling? Like, how are you doing with the 75? Um, I feel really good. I, I I told you in a text, Jeff, it feels like, and this is so different than anything I've ever done before. I've done these like crash diets or these like crazy lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. you know, carnivore only eat meat and the weight drops off really fast when you do that. Or I, you know, decided I was going to be a marathon runner and I was running three miles a day and 10 on weekends and weight drops off really fast, but those have not been sustainable either. So this one, right. I feel better. I can tell I'm losing weight, but it's way slower than normal. Way slower. Look at this. I mean, just look at all this. <laughs> uh, I didn't know I knew that about you. One of these days, we're going to have to make the video of these Zoom calls available. Yeah. Just to give the listeners another level of enjoyment. So all, all that to say, I'm trusting that the process is working. And I, I know that it is in some ways because I can't really remember the last time I've had sweets. Yeah. You know, I did, so that has been easy. The water for me has been pretty easy, to be honest. Um, the sleeping wasn't an issue. And the intermittent fasting, I, I kind of skipped breakfast anyway. So, yeah, but the sweets and just knowing that you're trying to make a lifestyle change, I'm noticing I do certain things different that even aren't in the requirements. Yeah. Well, like even when you said a couple episodes ago, we talked about a dinner that you went and celebrated Aaron, you just had one bite of the dessert. It wasn't like you ate half of four different desserts. It was like, no, we just had, just had one bite and it was great. That was the last time I had something sweet. Yeah. yeah, so two things that struck me when I was talking with Dr. Barrett. One is this is the the best chance that I've ever seen in anything that I've done of something that can become a long-term habit. So I think at the end of 75, we're going to follow up with him again to just talk about specific strategies about how to take this forward. Because yeah. it's not that we're completely depriving ourselves from now until forever, but how can we take what we've learned and the power of this habit stacking idea and make it something that's sustainable for the long term? Make it a lifestyle. That's yeah, good. For sure. I, I hope that I can stick to multiple of the things that we've taught ourselves. I hope. But mm-hmm. I think the, what Lee was saying, I'm thinking different about certain things. Like that I need water. Yeah. I don't need to eat that. I don't need to drink that. I need to do this. So, yeah. Halfway there. Yeah. Well, and I think like the box breathing, just the focus time of breathing and pseudo meditation, it's like, it's different than prayer, but it's connected for me. It's like just that, that focus, that little bit of breathing before bed. It's like my head is clearer when I go to sleep. Be careful. You're going to scare our Baptist friends. It's all prayer. There is nothing else but prayer. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other thing that strikes me about the conversation today with him was the the impact of alcohol so we're coming into on day 45 we go 30 days with no alcohol to end the challenge and for some people that's easy because they don't drink anyway for others of us it's going to be a big challenge one of the things that i've noticed because i just i got sick right at the beginning of the year and then we started the 75 and so i haven't had any alcohol the whole time And so for me, I've already seen the impact of what that's meant to me physically. And I didn't really understand it until Barrett said that our bodies, the way our liver and other organs process alcohol, it's impossible for our body to burn fat 
within 12 hours of drinking because our body is so concerned and consumed with burning off the other impacts of alcohol that it's not able to burn fat. So it's not just a calorie thing. It's a metabolic thing. And that's something I didn't understand before this conversation. So so that makes also a lot of sense. I probably could have lost more weight because that hunting trip I went on, we were drinking every meal. Well, yeah, lunch and dinner, we had drinks. And then when we were in Knoxville, I had wine every night when we went out. So that's probably 10 days where, you know, screwed up the metabolism. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so what that says to me is the next 30 days, your body's probably going to respond in a pretty dramatic way on the other on the other side because right. it's been you know you've gotten used to moving more and burning more calories so now it's like ooh okay let's metabolize some of that fat as a way to keep up with the workouts and you're going to be able to do it so yeah. i'm i'm excited to see how how it you know how everybody responds yeah it's going to be awesome i'm very curious about after day 75 you know for me historically that's been yeah when it completely falls apart so when something ends so here we go that's the most challenging part to me is actually day 76 yeah yeah i think you know hopefully the water will become a habit by then that's a huge thing i think is keeping that hydration sustained Mm -hmm. you know developing some of these sleep habits um is a big deal so maybe some of the things like that will stick even if you're not continuing to do tabata exercises you've gotten used to exercising period and so it'll be easier to maintain that and easier to maintain the water and the walk and i'm talking about things with people you know like i would never talk about this kind of stuff with people like oh man it's been really hard drinking water or hey i'm not really working out and so i think that i hope the vulnerability continues with i don't think it needs to be a large group of people but with a small group of people yeah, that I can lean on here in Atlanta. I think it's important to have friends near and far, but the ones near can actively step in at times. So, yeah, it's great. Um, on the Tabata stuff, I was disappointed, frustrated at the push-ups. I think something's wrong with my wrist, and I, I sound like a little baby, but I just couldn't do it because of the pain in my wrist. It was crazy. Mm. It felt abnormal. It's like wow. I've got some kind of injury or something and it aggravated it. But when I say that, I also feel like a fat guy complaining. And I hate that too. But it freaking sucked. That's a bummer. Well, we've got... It is a bummer. Okay, so on day 40, which is today, we start Tabata burpees. burpees. So I talked to Barrett about that. So you guys you guys heard of what he said, what he had to say about burpees. And then coming up, we've got lunges, we've got plank holds, we've got uh, jogging and jump squats. So there's not any more yeah. exercises that'll put that strain on your wrist. So hopefully that'll be yeah. that'll be a temporary thing. And maybe when I lose 50 pounds, I'll try push-ups again. <laughs> It'll probably <laughs> do do wonders on your wrist. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, guys, this has been great. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks for a good conversation. We've got some exciting things coming up. The biggest of which is we have launched the assignments feature for MXU team. So for those of you who are team subscribers, you got to check out assignments. I'm so excited about this milestone for our development because of the features that it adds for you as a user and how you can basically, you know, develop your team in a deeper way. That's awesome. awesome. Yep. Love you guys. Likewise. Go watch 14 Peaks and call me tomorrow. Got it. Love it. Talk to y'all soon. That's it. All right, everybody, take care.